Welcome. Thank you for listening. We're currently working our way through the book of Joshua, celebrating the God who keeps every promise he has ever made. If you're in the Milwaukee area and you're looking for a church home, we'd love to meet you. You can connect with us more through our website, harvestcommunity.org. Here we are on Sunday in Joshua chapter 10, 11, and 12. So you'll be here till Monday morning for this. But we're here on Sunday hearing that the Lord who fought for Israel is the God who sent his son and has fought for, is fighting for, and will come again finally in victory for us. And for that, we have been in these songs thankful. And in the word this morning, our desire is to stir up thankfulness that we put towards God, deep, deep faith and trust in him. And then after this sermon, I I promise you it won't be till tomorrow morning. I'll be done by tonight. No worries about that. But we will continue in worship and thankfulness to God. Let this be uh, the Thanksgiving service at Harvest Community Church. We've been in Joshua for a while now. And here we are in chapter 10 into a season of victory for the people of God. And that season of victory goes from Joshua 9 into 10. I'm going to pick up last Sunday where Pastor Align left off. I'm going to pick right up as we go into battle in chapter 10, 11, and then chapter 12 summarizes all of this. So um, if you remember last time, Drew was here leading worship for us. I had him read this long passage with tons of names. Some of you remember that. There's no way I was going to make him read all three chapters. I trust that you've been reading with us. Here's what we're going to have to do this morning. This morning, we are like flying over chapters 10, 11, and 12. And I spent all the way up until last night and into this morning, like just deciding where we're going to touch down, where we're going to land in a few strategic places. But I'm just going to give away the ending right away to you because I really can't contain it. I'm just going to play my hand as it were in the first minutes. The Lord, our God, has fought for us. He is fighting for us. He will come again in victory, fighting for us. It is the Lord who fought for Israel and won those battles. It wasn't Joshua and his highly trained men. It wasn't his obedient, uh, deserving, righteous people It was the Lord who chose to be faithful to and fought for his people. And that is going to, in us this morning, if we wanted to skip right to the conclusion, my son's like, please just do that. (laughs) Right to the conclusion this morning, we need to enter areas of our life that feel like battles for us with deeper trust in the God who fights for us. Have you ever been invited to help someone move? If you own a truck, you sure have. (laughs) Have you ever arrived there only to the great news that they're moving a piano? (laughs) I mean, not like some grand piano. Those are that that's rare. 
But I'm not talking about a keyboard either. I'm not talking about some digital piano with built-in speakers. I'm talking about the old school piano that was at your grandma's house. Like, you have one. I have one. Some of you helped me move one into my basement down some stairs. What happens when you find out that someone has a piano at a move is the whole mood changes. There's a, there's just a somberness. Like, it was all fun and games. It was Saturday. You told your wife you'd be home by noon. Uh, you knew that other strong guys from your small group were going to be there. Um, a couple of them had big pickup trucks. This is going to be pretty easy. You knew that there was pizza on the other end. That was going to be great. But the minute the piano enters the equation, the whole mood changes. And so you start realizing who thinks they're the strongest because they start figuring this thing out. And then the musician says, well, you can't just like tip this thing on its side. It's got to be upright like an old school plasma television the whole time. And so on each of the four corners, the guys who think they're the strongest, they, they line up. And on some of the old pianos, these console pianos that are about 45 inches high, actually they're exactly 45 inches high, there's a handle on them and you can grab one there. There's literally nothing to grab to, onto on the other side. And so you usually, you, you could have four guys. Then there's, a, there's somebody who wants to help. It's in their heart to help. Um, and they usually grab like under the keyboard where there's really no weight. And it's all fun and games. You're feeling good about having now five people help with the move piano. All things seem possible at this point. And, it, and when you get to the stairwell, where, where you're really in the heat of battle, you do glance over at the guy who, who is grabbing under the keyboard because not only are you wondering, like, what are you even doing here? <laughs> He's now in the way and he has to like slide out of the whole equation. And at the heaviest point, you're down to four people. He was active, but he wasn't really doing the work. And this is a, a, a principle in life, really. Just because everybody's active doesn't mean everybody's actually doing the work. Just because everybody's involved in the activity, it doesn't mean they're doing the work. Uh, some of you have heard this story before. I shared it with, with, with some of you years ago, but I think my earliest childhood memory, as I think back, is mowing the lawn with my dad in the 1980s in Quincy, Illinois. That's my dad. Some of you know him as Pastor Mark. Drew, who leads worship this morning, uh, knows him as Uncle Mark. Um, I remember that green lawnmower so well. And you know what I remember most about that green lawnmower is the back edge of the green lawnmower. Kind of looks like you, Abel. Um, the back edge of that green lawnmower, because I remember traveling behind my dad, now that I think about it, without any safety goggles, just waiting, waiting for an accident. But I was trailing my dad with this green lawnmower, and the reason it's my earliest memory is because I can remember watching the grass fold under the plastic back edge of my toy lawnmower in my mind thinking that I was helping because it was doing something. I saw the grass being bent down, and I thought that I as well was doing something to help my dad. And my dad being a loving dad, he just went right along with it. And now that I'm a dad, I know that that's probably a great memory for him as well. His son um, helping him out, making the lawn take even longer to mow. Um, 
just because we're active, just because people are active in a scene, in a story, even in a battle, doesn't mean they're the ones actually doing the work. And that's actually what's happening in Joshua 10, 11, and 12. What we see is the people of Israel now on the west side of the Jordan River in victory after victory after victory. And the author of Joshua, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, wants us to know that it is unequivocally, clearly, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the Lord who fights for his people. It is the Lord who fights for his people. Actually, I don't have this verse on the screen, but in my own devotions, I'm going through the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 9, I didn't realize that right away in Deuteronomy 9, God told Moses, hey, you you guys are going to go to the west side of the Jordan. This is going to be after Moses is dead and gone. And, and when you go in there, don't forget that I'm the consuming fire who goes before you. And he uses this word, which speaks so clearly today. Think of all the thousands of years ago that this happened. And like today, it just speaks crystal clear to my heart. He said, and don't be self-righteous. When you get in there, it's not because of your own righteousness. It's because of me going before you, winning the battle. The Lord fights for his people. And that's what we're going to see this morning. In chapter 10, if you remember last week, Pastor Align, our guest preacher from Guatemala City, Guatemala, preached past chapter 9, and he said you'd have to come back this week. Well, what was he talking about? Well, the people of Gibeon, a, a nearby city, a very strategic city, the Bible says larger than the city of Ai, where the last battle was won. They came as though they were from far away and they tricked Israel into a pact, a treaty. And, and they said, we're so far away, you'll never even get to us. Let's, let's have a treaty, right? And then they entered the treaty. Um, Israel was tricked into saying, we won't destroy you. We won't go into battle with you. They formed a truce. Um, the, the jig was up. They got busted. And then when it was all found out, they entered a relationship where basically Gibeon was like servants, uh, woodcutters, to Israel. Now in chapter 10, the king of Jerusalem, which the people of Israel have not gotten to Jerusalem yet, the king of Jerusalem enlists the help of four other kings. So there's five kings, five nations in chapter 10 that conspire together and say, we need to go against Gibeon. Gibeon is so strategic. We cannot have Israel in alliance with Gibeon. Gibeon finds out about this and they go to Israel and they say, all right, you said we're under truce. We're your servants. We've been acting as such, presumably. You need to help us. You need to come fight for us. So Israel is going to go up against five nations at a time in a battle in chapter 10 because of this alliance that they made last week in our time with Gibeon. Before they get there, the Lord sends a command. Let's look at verse 8, chapter 10, verse 8. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them, for I have handed them over to you. Not one of them will be able to stand against you. Now, I want you to just imagine being Joshua. 
And here's what Joshua has done so faithfully so far. Joshua's not won any of these battles or led in his own strength. But Joshua takes these promises right here and he pockets them. You've heard versions of this before already in the book of Joshua. But here fresh in chapter 10, the Lord says to Joshua, don't be afraid. Why? I've already handed them over to you. Not one of them will be able to stand against you. Joshua tests this in a huge way, which becomes a semi-famous story in scripture. As we get into uh, verses uh, 12 through 14, really 10 through 14, Joshua is going to test this promise of God. And he says, Lord of all creation, I need you on this long march as we go against five armies. I know, I trust you that you've given them into our hand, but God, we need time to be active in this battle. And the sun is not giving us what we need. And so Joshua calls upon the God of creation. Joshua calls upon, picture how bold this is. God, I believe that you said we're going to win this battle. He calls upon the sun and the moon to stand still. And the author of Joshua says that this has never happened before. Son, stay where you are. Have you ever had a day like that where like, you're like, the day's going good and you're into your work, but like, there's no way you're going to get all this work done today. Maybe one of the students here who's in school, you're just like, I think I can do this, but I need this day to last way longer before I get till tomorrow. They're in battle against five nations and they call upon, Lord, I, I know you'll do this, but stop the sun. Stop the moon. This is in the language of the original author of Joshua. We know now that they're actually like stopping the rotation of the earth. And God performs a miracle. People have all sorts of different opinions about this passage. Well, maybe this just happened. Maybe this just happened. I read like three different scholars on that this week. And I was like, whatever. Why do we need to explain this away? Uh, this is the God who said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, Joshua calls upon the maker, the almighty maker of heaven and earth. As we, as we confess, stop the sun, stop the moon. According to his knowledge and his prayer, well, God stops the rotation of the earth. I have not a difficult time believing that at all. Nothing is too difficult for our God. And God won't go to any, there is no length God won't go to save his people. When we were completely lost, God sent his only son away from heaven to this sin-filled earth to live and die and rise again for you. There is no length that our God won't go for you and me, for God's people here. This miracle, God extends the light, extends the day so that the battle can be won. But the most important part of this is verse 14. Actually, if you take 10, 11, and 12, chapters 10, 11, and 12, if you're taking notes and you want to read one verse, it all boils down to 10, 14. There has since, there has been no day like it before or since when the Lord listened to a man because the Lord fought for Israel. The Lord fought for Israel. 
This wasn't about Joshua and his brilliant strategy. This is the Lord who listened to the prayer of a person and intervened. This is what one older pastor said is the miracle of prayer. Have you ever thought about prayer like that? Has God ever answered a prayer of yours? He's answered prayers of mine. I know there's plenty that he hasn't answered in the direction that I've asked him for these things to go. I'll tell you, if you have a relationship with God, there's certainly one prayer that he's answered this morning. Have you ever had a time in your life where you said, God, I am a sinner with no hope and no peace in my life. And if I were to describe it in one word, I'm absolutely lost. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe it with my whole heart. It's my only hope. God, would you save me? Have you ever prayed that prayer? I can tell you about the miracle of prayer this morning. God answered that prayer. And your name is now written in the book of life. And there is Jesus Christ risen from the grave who represents you before the very throne of God. And he will get you to that place where the father is safely. God answers prayer. What a miracle. If you're looking, I, I know the holidays can be difficult times. Like everybody's like, oh, how was your Thanksgiving? You might've been grouped up with a, a family that drove you nuts on the positive side and maybe have caused you difficulty on the others. I mean, there's, there's real family stuff that comes up around the holidays. Some of you might be this morning wondering, what can I be thankful for? How about the miracle of prayer? God, that I can be here and you can be where you are and you will listen to my prayer. What a miracle. There has not been no day like it before or since when the Lord listened to a man and performed this miracle. Why? Because the Lord fought for Israel. Chapter 10 goes on in pretty graphic detail. They defeat these five nations, but they save the five kings. They trap them in a cave. Joshua brings them out as an object lesson for his commanders. And he lays out these five alive kings. And he has each commander put their foot on the neck of a defeated king. And I want you to listen to what he says. Joshua, this battle-hardened person who is just hanging on by deep, deep trust in the Lord. In verse 25 says this, Joshua said to them, while their foot is on the neck of a defeated enemy king, he says, do not be afraid or discouraged. Be strong and courageous for the Lord will do this to all the enemies you fight. You see, there's a progression from chapter one all the way through chapter 10. The Lord has been telling Joshua, don't be afraid, be courageous. And at every turn, the Lord keeps his word. He keeps his promise. And it's so embedded in who Joshua is that Joshua is taking up this ministry from the Lord of telling others, don't be afraid or discouraged. Uh, come here, come here. Like a defeated enemy king, like a mighty king of Jerusalem is laying there. Like in the way, like when my kids have each had periods of their life where they're afraid to touch fish. We do, we try to do a lot of fishing. Like, no, 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 literally, you can put your thumb in the mouth of a largemouth bass and hold it. It's okay. 
going to have a decent grip, but it's, it can be done. Come here. No, don't, be, don't freak out. Just grip tight between your thumb and your forefinger with any amount of strength, and that fish out of the water can be managed by a child. Joshua calls over his commanders and says, put your foot here. Don't be afraid or discouraged. You can kind of read in parentheses here, ever. <laughs> Never. Be strong and courageous for the Lord will do this to all the enemies you fight. And I, I want to encourage us this morning that there's someone who, as you've been ministered to by the Lord in life, there's someone now you need to come alongside of as a believer. And, and, and you need to put your arm around a brother or sister in Christ. And, and you need to say, don't be afraid or discouraged. Can I tell you what the Lord's done for me? Here's where I, I was at this low point in life. And here's what God did for me. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Be strong and courageous. It's the Lord who fights for you. Chapter 11 seems to just pick up speed. What happens in chapter 11 is these five kings and five nations are defeated. And now Israel goes on quite the run. City to city, it's like a tour of force claiming the land that God had promised to them. In 10, 28 through 43, they conquer the southern part of the promised land, the southern part of Canaan. And in chapter 11, as we move into chapter 11, they begin conquering the northern part of the land of Canaan. So as 10 finishes, they conquer the southern land. In chapter 11, they begin to conquer the northern land. And in verse 4, I want us to read verse 4. They went out with all their armies. This isn't Israel. These are the enemies. A multitude as numerous as the sand on the seashore, along with a vast number of horses and chariots. Okay, I want, I want to bring to your mind, leave that there, but I want to bring to your mind a psalm. David, reflecting on Israel's history, said some trust in horses and some trust in chariots. That's like modern tools of warfare in this day. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. The enemy, as they go into northern Canaan, the northern part of the promised land, it's like a video game where like the enemies, the further you go into the video game, the enemies just start like picking up. That is the pace of chapter 11. Chapter 11, the tempo picks up to the point where in verse four, they went out with all their armies, a multitude as numerous as the sand on the seashore, along with a vast number of horses and chariots. It's like, it reminds me of the video games that I used to play on Nintendo with my childhood friend, Spencer in his basement. I didn't have a Nintendo. I had to go to other friends' house. I was the kid where like, you'd go over to the friend's house with the Nintendo and they're like, do you want to come outside and do something else? Like, no, I never get to do this. I'll tell you what Spencer and I used to play. We would play the game Contra. We would play the game Street Fighter. And my personal favorite, because they were all heroes of mine by this point anyway, the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> in these games, the further you go in the game, the more the enemies pick up. 
They seemed to come out of every direction, except they didn't because at this stage of technology, they only came out of the right side of the screen. <laughs> so, but still, as you moved in the game, literally in that tech like this, the enemies would just multiply. Like as the further you got in the game, it seemed like you're fighting a hundred to one. And after entering the secret code and before you began Contra, you had unlimited ammo, so it was doable. <laughs> Just in case any of you were questioning how we did it. This is what's happening in Joshua chapter 11. The enemies are just picking up. I, I want to contrast two verses. Again, this was tough. How do you, how do you cover three chapters? I want to pair two verses for you. Chapter or verse four of chapter 11, they're conquering the Northern territory and the enemies numerous as the sand of the seashore. 11 verses later, verse 15, 11 verse 15, just as the Lord had commanded his servant, Moses, Moses commanded Joshua. This is what Joshua did leaving nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses in the, leave that verse there in the face of impossible, overwhelming odds, the way the text is written. If you're tracking Joshua with us, I'm expecting that on your phone, your iPad, your computer, your analog Bible, you're reading these three chapters. And as you read these three chapters, you're going to read more names and more kings and nations than you ever have in Joshua so far. And the reason is the author of Joshua is literally trying to like make us feel overwhelmed with how many people are going against Israel. And in the middle of it, Joshua stays in the middle of the road. Read the intentional language here. Just as the Lord had commanded his servant Moses, Moses commanded Joshua. What did Joshua do? This is what Joshua did, leaving nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. When I see verse 4 and verse 15, I am reminded of a scene from a book that had life-changing implications for my wife, Sheena, and I. At a very important time in, in, in my life, um, I was encouraged by a good friend to go back to the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. And I, I told this to our staff the other day because this showed up in a book we're reading together as well. You will not waste your time either reading The Pilgrim's Progress or even getting like a children's adaptation of the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, and watching it with your family. In the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, this Christian is on a journey to be home safe with the King, with the Lord. And on his way, that the whole, this is the whole book's about. There's detours offered. There's traps, there's discouragement. It's life through this world. But at this specific scene, I don't have it on the screen. I want to read to you a portion of this book. Keep in mind, Joshua eleven four 
enemies as numerous as the sand on the seashore. 11 verses later, 15, they just did everything of all that the Lord commanded. The author of the Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, writes it into a story this way. The palace stands a little off the holy way, being approached by a narrow lane leading to a lodge or gatehouse. Starting up the lane, Christian, the main character on this journey, has not gone far when he sees two lions in front of him. He stops as if to turn back. The porter at the lodge has been observing him and calls out, Is your strength so small? Fear not the lions, for they're chained and placed there for trial of faith where it is and for discovery of those that have none. Keep in the middle of the road and no hurt will come to you. Taking heart, but still trembling, Christian advances warily, taking good care. Listen to how specific their language is here. Taking good care to walk exactly in the middle of the path as directed. So Christian on this journey sees two lions ahead and I'm going to, he's going to turn back. Those two lions are on chains. They can't reach the middle of the road, stay exactly in the middle of the path. Enemies as numerous as the sand of the seashore stay in the middle of the path. Do exactly what I'm asking you to do because I am actually, listen to this harvest. I'm actually, the Lord is saying to us through this passage, I'm not asking you to win the battle. I'm not asking you to be victorious over the enemy. I'm not asking you to take on all that is coming your way. I am asking you to, in a deeper way, trust me. And so you have two lions in your path. You have battles that you're walking into. And the only thing the Lord is asking you to do has nothing to do with winning the battle. He's asking you for deeper and deeper trust in him that looks like, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged because it's the Lord who fights for you. Chapter 12 is a summary. If you've got your Bible, look at chapter 12. If you've got it on a tablet, just scroll through chapter 12. It's a list. It's split into two parts. The beginning are all the battles Moses won. And the close, the second half, really it's like one third of the chapter is, these are the battles Moses won before he died on the east side of the Jordan. And the last two thirds of the chapter, these are all the battles Joshua and the people won on the other side of the Jordan. And the importance of chapter 12 is to celebrate the faithfulness of God to win the battles for us and to say that God has not just won battles for you, but he's won battles for us. Why do I say that? Because the 
two and a half tribes. Do you remember the two and a half tribes that were tempted to not go into battle on the west side of the Jordan? They, and, and, and Moses and then Joshua said, go into battle west side of Jordan, then you can come back and have your land. What chapter 12 is doing is saying, the Lord has fought for all of us, not just you. Not for just the tribes that are like you, but for all 12 tribes. The Lord doesn't just fight for you. The Lord fights for us and the Lord's faithfulness to his people, the Lord's faithfulness to you and me actually brings us together. And so when we gather on a Sunday morning, our thankfulness, our worship is for his faithfulness to us. After chapter 12, We've reached two pivotal moments. We are finishing what the church calls normal time. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. And we're going to pause our Joshua series and we're going to journey through Advent together all the way into the new year. And we're going to resume Joshua the first Sunday of January. We are exactly 12 chapters out of 24. This is our halfway moment. It's at this time halfway through Joshua that I would like us to read Joshua 1, 1 through 5 together. And then I want to celebrate what the Lord has done. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness in Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites and west to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Harvest, did that come true for Israel in the first 12 chapters? Did we see God be faithful to what he promised to Israel in the first 12 chapters? Well, Harvest, I want to say that God has never changed. The God who told Joshua that in chapter 1 and then every step of the way was faithful to his people Israel is the same God that we've been singing to all morning. And he is the same God who is faithful to you. And there is not one promise that God has made to you that will fail. God has a, every intention of keeping every promise to you. Let's look at a map of what, what has been won. They've crossed the Jordan Moses died on this side. The two and a half tribes settled in this reddish color on the right. And by the end of chapter 12, as we head into the second half, they are advancing toward the Mediterranean Sea, claiming all that land. Our God is faithful to Israel, and that same God is faithful to you. Chapter 12 is a summary of God's faithfulness and God is faithful to us today. As we've been journeying with Israel through these first 12 chapters, I've had a question 
from several of you in the congregation about how do we process what we're studying here with what's going on with Israel at war in the news. And so I didn't want to jump on this hastily, so I've been following it closely, and I wanted to offer some helpful ways that we can pray for this situation as a body. Actually, today, I'm supposed to be in Israel. I have a plane ticket that would have left Friday. I had been studying and preparing for this trip for a long time. It's now delayed into the new year. So obviously, I've been, it's been heavy on my heart. Some of you have been asking, when are we going to pray for Israel in the services? How should I pray for Israel on my own? I feel like as your pastor, a responsibility to answer you and offer some help. I offer this humbly, and I'm going to try to stay in the middle of the path on this. Harvest, we must be careful to not draw a straight line from the Israel we see in the book of Joshua in our stories as they advance nation to nation in battle and in victory straight to the news. Now, you know from past issues we've navigated together ever since 2020, we got to be really careful not to fall into the convenient trap that is the news as entertainment that wants us to line up as like, well, are you for this or are you for this? And then let's do battle. Staying in the middle of the road on this means staying close to scripture. And so I want to offer from scripture how we can stay not balanced, the middle of the road, how we can stay faithful to God in prayer for his people. While there is a remnant of God's people that God has made promises to the Israel that you see in the news as a modern democratic nation led by a government, and it is at war. It would be unfair to just say we're following Israel nation to nation in battle in the book of Joshua, and then to just sort of cheer them on blindly in the nightly news as if it's the same thing that wouldn't be helpful. So what would we do? I think, I say this humbly as your pastor, I think praying for Israel is too simple of a phrase, especially for these complex and chaotic times. Here's what scripture encourages us to do, and I offer this in humility, but yet with confidence. Psalm 122 says we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I think we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This does not mean we pray for or condone everything they do at every turn in their reaction against Hamas and Gaza, but this does mean we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the Israelis as they grieve the loss of life incurred on October 7th that we can relate to those of us who are around for 9-11 in this country and the deep sadness and loss of life. We cannot process this issue without Christ and the church in view. Let's not make a line in the Bible from the Israel of the Old Testament to the news today and forget that we are Christians, members of the bride of Christ, the church. And because of that, we pray for the protection of life in both Gaza and in Israel. 
Harvest, we are people of the church. We need to pray for the church. The hope in this situation is that God's kingdom come and his will would be done. We need to pray for the church in Gaza and the church in Israel for God's kingdom to shine through them. Did you know that there's Christians in Gaza? There's a church in Gaza and in Israel for their perseverance and witness and safety. According to Romans 9, under the direction of Paul, we need to pray for the Jewish people, for the remnant that God has to embrace their Messiah, King Jesus. But Romans 9 would go on to say that we are to pray for the salvation of all people in Gaza and Israel and all nations. Scripture will end in Revelation saying, let's pray for the return of that King, Messiah, King Jesus. Even so come Lord Jesus. So harvest, I humbly but confidently exhort us as a church to not leave Christ and his church out of our processing of this issue, but to stay in the middle of the road and to stay in unity. This morning we saw the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth fighting for his people. And I want to encourage you this morning with this, God is not asking us to win the battle. Drew's going to come. We're going to begin to prepare and respond. He's asking you to deeply trust in him. Even though we're active in many situations in life right now, it is him who will do the needed and saving work. The Lord is calling you right now to actively follow him into your work and your studies, your new relationship, your marriage, your mental health, your physical health, your parenting. The call through all of this this morning is do not be afraid for he will fight for you. Drew and I are going to lead us in a, a musical response right now. If you recognize the words and want to sing along, we would love for you to. Drew and I grew up singing together ever since we were teenagers, and we started with hymns. We would open a hymnal, and we would just write new music to it. This song is so important to me and is an appropriate response to this text. How firm a foundation you saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word the God who has been faithful to Israel that we've seen is faithful to you. God has fought for you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God is fighting for you right now as the enemy seeks to accuse and attack Jesus Christ. The righteous is at God's right hand interceding for you. And according to Revelation chapter 19, Jesus Christ will come again in final victory, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let us be thankful for the legacy of faithfulness God has had to us and let it inspire courage and deeper and deeper trust in him.